why can't we just ask really hard questions and then just sit in that asking for a long time? You know, like we want to just like ask the question and then get to the other side of it. And I don't, I don't think we always need to do that. I think we need to like, sometimes we need to give it some time. And I think we're uncomfortable with that. And I want to allow people through my words and through the things I write, I want them to take their time. You know, I think that's important. You're listening to Upside Down Podcast, an ecumenical conversation at the intersection of justice, spirituality, and culture. We've created this space with you in mind. So join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. This is Upside Down Podcast. I'm Lindsay Wallace, and I will be your host today, and I'm joined by Kayla Craig. Say hey, Kayla. Hello. (laughs) Show notes for today's episode can be found on Instagram, which is Upside Down Podcast. This show is listener-funded 100%, so if you'd like to throw a couple bucks our way, just to keep it free and free of ads, you can visit us at patreon.com slash upsidedownpodcast, or just go to upsidedownpodcast.com, and there is a give button right there in the upper right-hand corner. Today, we are interviewing Caitlin Curtis. Caitlin is a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, a Christian, and a poet who speaks on faith and justice within the church as it relates to indigenous peoples. Caitlin is a monthly columnist for Sojourners, and her work has been featured on On Being, Religion News Service, CBS, USA Today, and The New Yorker. Her newest book, Native, Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God, came out just last week. So Caitlin, congratulations on your book, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, we... Thoroughly enjoyed your book, but we're going to get into that in a second. In addition to the bio that I just read, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Yeah, so um, I live in Atlanta with uh, my partner Travis and our two sons and our two dogs. We have a Weimariner who's two years old and a Husky who's about 14. So we have an old dog and a really young dog and love them both very much. Um, yeah, so we live in Atlanta and when I'm not writing, I'm just kind of hanging out with them and, um, trying to just kind of live a simple, quiet life as much as possible. And especially because of being quarantined, it's kind of forced us all to do that in a lot of ways. So we're trying to embrace that and live into that as much as possible. So, yeah. Yeah, we're dog people around here, so I always love when you mention your family and you include your dogs. And <laughs> like yeah. pictures of your dogs there when you open the box of books at your house. Oh, that was so sweet. Jupiter, was, yeah. he's so involved all the time, you know. <laughs> but it's really sweet. It's fun to yeah see that. So Kayla and I both read the book, and you cover so much in twenty chapters. I just yeah. kept thinking Seriously. to myself like the breadth and depth is really phenomenal (laughs) and it's breathtakingly beautiful and you're writing about really hard topics but the just the I read it really as this prophetic really lovingly calling out and calling in to like Mm -hmm. the big c church in the united states and so I just wonder what would you say this book is about and what does it mean to you yeah I am the other night I was um journaling like right before the book launched and just like journaling about it and um the night before and the kind of things I was sort of praying into the book that I hoped it would you know it the essence of the book as it went out into the world would be that um it would be a book that is a challenge and a balm like I want it Mm -hmm. to be um 
that might have sounded like bomb, but B A L M. <laughs> I just realized that people might be like, "What a bomb!" Um, a bomb, like a you know. Um, and so I want it to be this. You know, I I want the stories and the the things I'm challenging the church with to to be real real challenges that that ask us to look deeper and to pay attention to what we're doing to people and what we're doing as institutions and what our history is. But then I also you know, I, I use the poems in the book and I use the stories as, like you said, like a calling in and calling home. Like I, I want people to feel comfortable to sit with that a little bit and to be, and to be okay with it, you know, to know that we're in this together, even though we've got a lot of work to do. And so, you know, that's my hope for it. And so far I've heard people sharing that and echoing that. And that makes me really excited. Um, for whatever the book does in the future is that it maybe it'll do the work that I would like for it to do. Mm, I love that you said that. And right now, as we're talking, you are just in the throes of launching this book baby kind of out into the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun to be at the, at the front end of that with you as you're kind of processing. And I think you do such a good job, you know, throughout the book of being in process and being willing to say like i i am i am figuring this out i am with you we are figuring this out together um i just really appreciate that as i was reading your words thank you yeah i think it's you know we live in in a call out culture and which we need at times but then it's also just like so hard to to tell people and admit that like you're not sure of something yet and we're still trying to figure things out and to be in that kind of gray space um I'm not sure we give each other a lot of room to do that. And then it just makes us so like scared to, to be around each other or to name the truth because we're afraid of, you know, getting yelled at or afraid of saying the wrong thing. And like, I just, I want people to have room to like figure it out um, and not, you know, to name the truth and to be challenged, but to not be like scared to say that they're trying to figure it out and they're working on it. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know that we've ever really done this, but I'm going to read um, some portions of the book, your words back to you, and then kind of ask you to reflect on them. But I really just, for people who haven't read the book yet, it is available, and so please go get it. But I just want to, like, expose people. I want them to hear a bit of kind of what, what we read and experience that, like, beautiful calling in that you that you expressed. So... This is um, a quote from the book. A thread runs through the history of America, a thin line that connects people, places, moments, cultures, and experiences. This thread started when Columbus arrived and deemed indigenous people savages and unworthy of life, a thread that continued as African peoples were enslaved and forced onto this continent. We see it today in hate crimes against people of color and religious minorities. It is a thread of whiteness, of white supremacy, that aims to erase culture, to assimilate those deemed unworthy of humanity. It is the greed of white men who have stolen land and committed genocide against indigenous peoples and have for centuries suppressed our cultures. The thread of white supremacy did not end there. We continue to see its effects today, not just in KKK rallies, but in everyday experiences in systems of oppression that leave out the most vulnerable among us, that ignore and seclude indigenous peoples and pay no mind to what justice might actually look like. 
And so what came to mind to me as I was reading those words is what does justice look like? Or maybe what does justice feel like? When mm -hmm. sometimes it feels to me like colonized Christianity is all we have left in this country. And I know that's not true, but mm -hmm. it feels that way, especially, you know, on days like today. Um, so I just wonder, what, what does justice look like? What does justice feel like to you? Yeah. Um, for me, I think that it helped me a lot to, even in my own identity, like stepping outside of Christianity a little bit because I, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, so I was so steeped in it, like so steeped in what I believed and my container of what I believed and not asking questions of what I believed. And, um, I think I needed to. And, and kind of coming back to my identity and listening to those, those parts of me, the indigenous parts of me that weren't being listened to for a long time. I think in coming back to those parts of myself, like it forced me then to ask some really important questions about Christianity and what I believe about God. And I think that in doing that, it helped me understand another side of, of justice that I just didn't um, connect with before because I didn't realize it was there. And in doing that, it's helped me to understand, okay, well, if, you know, if, if I can step outside of Christianity and see this, then maybe I can also connect with people who are not Christians and I can connect with people who are not indigenous, but are doing other justice work. And, you know, and it just sort of began to like, and like decentering some of my colonial Christian upbringing, like decentering that, decolonizing that has helped me to understand that justice work is being done all over the place and by people that um, Christianity might not say that it's justice work because it's not a Christian doing it. But like, to me, I see um, like people in the um, sick community and in, in New York and all over the country who are just like giving sandwiches out to people and taking, and, you know, like just like first respond responders mm -hmm. to this crisis who are just doing everything they can. Like that's justice work and they're not Christians and, you know, but it's like the, the younger me would have been like, Oh, but Christians do justice work, you know? And, and so part of my journey is to get out, like step outside Christianity a bit and understand that there are people in the world who are just being like good humans and loving each other because that's just what we are called to do, you know? And, and it's been helpful for me to do that, you know, to see that what's outside of, the faith that I have known for so long. I think it's so interesting because I'm somebody that didn't have that upbringing. My husband mm. did very similar to you, but my upbringing was, you know, lots of times, you know, mainline tradition in and out of church, like just very mm. much not that evangelical upbringing. And so it's really interesting when I hear my friends or I read books by people who have that because I think that kind of deconstructing and reconstructing looks different depending on what your personal, I don't know, baggage and faith journey is. And we all have baggage, yeah. <laughs> but, but there is that certain kind of element of people that grew up in kind yeah. of conservative or fundamentalist upbringing um, that have to kind of take that step back and figure out what um, faith and relationship with God looks like um, to them. So I appreciate yeah. they shared that. 
one of the things you talk about in the book is, is sort of like truth-telling spaces and the importance and the sacredness of our stories. And you say that one of the church's biggest blind spots is ignoring the stories of those on the outside. Um, and that to tell the truth is to give language to experiences that are often ignored, not just by the church, but by society in general. And you asked the question, can you imagine if all over the country we hosted storytelling events? Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, you know, that's one of the low-key reasons we started a podcast, right, was to be able to tell some of those stories that are ignored um, by yeah. society or by the church. And so I just wonder, how do we create truth-telling spaces? And what does that look like? And maybe you've seen, like, real-life examples of this where you've experienced those on the outside who are invited to share their stories. Yeah, you know, it's hard to create those spaces. It really is. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen people who try to do it. And once you kind of sort of create an institution out of something and you have all the power dynamics and you have, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's really hard to be, to like authentically do that. Um, yeah. one space for me that like, just during COVID, um, I have attended, um, middle church in New York city and, um, Jackie Lewis is the pastor there, the head pastor there. And, um, you know, some people would call this church kind of a universalist church. Um, some people, you know, would call Jackie like post-Christian or, you know, whatever. And, um, but to me, like, uh, Jackie is one of those people in my life that, that holds space for all of me, you know, and, um, attending her church even virtually has been just a really nice, um, space of rest because I, um, uh, I don't go to church right now. And the last church I attended, I really, I knew that when I walked in the door, I couldn't bring all of myself in and I tried going and I, and we went there for a while and eventually just, I couldn't take it anymore because I was realizing if I can't bring all of myself, then I know, you know, my queer friends can't bring all of themselves. My black friends couldn't bring all of themselves. Like, you know, I, I just could see that <laughs> happening and, um, and had to leave. And so, gosh, it is really hard to create those safe spaces. And what I have found is that it happens organically and it starts small. Like, you know, I know kind of a core group of people that I can be myself with, you know, and that will, will take all of me and love all of me. Um, I think that doing, um, why Christian, the Why Christian Conference with Rachel Held Evans and Nadia Bowles Weber was one of the first spaces where I felt that like I could show up and ask my questions and just try to figure out who I am and that they would hold that space with me. And I think that happened kind of right as I started writing and as my first book was coming out. And I'm just so grateful that they both embody that like they're they both um, held that that room for me. Mm. And I think we need more of those spaces, you know. Yeah, for sure. We do. So one of my favorite lines from the whole book is the communion table in our churches is a political table. And I wonder mm -hmm. if you could, there's obviously more on that page than that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that just really captured me. And I wonder if you could explain what that means to us. For you. Yeah, I think, um, I think we, it's so funny in the church because we act like politics, we somehow act like politics don't exist there or that we can't be political. But like you have to recognize that if, if you're a church in America, 
you're saying something politically all the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so it's this weird, like dissonance, like, like we are inherently political, but then like Jesus was political. And so, you know, trying to, I don't know. I, I, I was just trying to like capture an image of like the communion table as a place, like to be political and to, you know, um, speak up when things are happening to oppressed peoples and to name the truth and to like, you know, in America to, to be honest about how we started and where we come from and the injustice that just continues to happen in our systems. Like those things are political. And if we're Christians and we have this table where people are supposed to come and, you know, sort of feast on who Jesus is and what he represents, like, then that should be political. Like that's a political act. And, um, and I don't know, I just kind of like, I'm trying to reframe that in my mind. And sadly, a lot of, you know, a lot of church spaces, the table is not open for so many people. And it's, um, it's a, a scary environment because people are not welcome to that table unless you are saved or it's, you know, it's like, there are all these restrictions around it and, mm. you know, and what, what would it be like to have those tables opened up to people who are just who just want to come and want to be part of that and want to inhabit that space. And so, yeah, I just, um, we can pretend that we're not political, but the decisions that we make and the things we embody in the church, you know, they are political things, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Something that, um, I've heard is that everything is political. It doesn't have to be partisan. And I think Mm. that, you know, here, in the U.S., we see things as either one extreme or another extreme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is like, I don't know, it's just like, yes, it's political, but um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting flip because mm-hmm. we like to fall into these kind of tropes or, um, yeah, instead of just taking a step back and thinking about it through the lens of, you know, God's upside down kingdom, right? <laughs> like it yeah. flips things around. Yeah. I wish um, we're ecumenical podcast, so I'm Protestant and Lindsay is Protestant. I really would love to hear like a Catholic perspective of that because obviously there's a different view of the Eucharist um, and I can't, (laughs) I can't speak to that, but I think um, I just like wishing. So we had someone on because I think that could have been a really rich dialogue because you've given us a lot. Totally. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to read another somewhat longer portion um, from the book. Settler colonial Christianity is a religion that takes, that demeans the earth and the oppressed, and that holds people in these systems without regard for how Jesus treated people. So to be part of a colonizing religion, I have to constantly ask, who am I following? The empirical religion born of men who wanted and still want to rule the world in their own image or something different? I am a woman. But what does it mean to embody that in a toxic, patriarchal society and church system? It means I listen to the voice that has been silenced. Um, And that's something that we talk about a lot here on this podcast. And earlier you brought in sort of power dynamics when it comes to truth-telling spaces. And Mm -hmm. we are as aware of that as we can be, as um, Kayla and I are both white women who started the podcast um, and so, yeah, we, we try to listen to voices that have been silenced, but I wonder 
when you listen to the voice that has been silenced, whether that's your own voice or that of others, what do you hear? Yeah. Um, for my own voice, um, I think it's interesting because I think for a long time I didn't realize that I'd been silenced. Like I, I didn't understand mm. that at some, at some point we have a choice of whether we want to be assimilated or we want to choose something different, right? Like we have a, ch- I have a choice to mm-hmm. decolonize something or to do go on that journey, right? Like I can choose not to, or I can choose to do it. And, um, and I don't think I, I realized that that was like a choice until it just kind of hit me that like, you know, growing up, like you, you don't choose assimilation. It just happens. It happens to you. It happens in America to a lot of people. And I think that just, you know, being in the church, like that part of my voice was just, it just was quieted. It was pushed back. You know, it it was just, it just happened. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like recognizing like, Oh man, like there is, there is a voice inside of me and kind of um, gently like allowing her to speak up more has been a really interesting journey that has, been helpful with therapy (laughs) and um you know and like um but what I've found of course is that like she reminds me of my child self because like she's connecting me back to my trauma and to those things you know in a gentle way Mm -hmm. and then is connecting me back to the land and is connecting me to a kind of um a kind of a part of my identity and my you know, feminism that is not attached to purity culture or those things I grew up with, you know, or Mm -hmm. I don't have to say yes to everything and be people pleasing, you know, those kinds of things where I just learned these things without realizing it. And listening to that voice is saying like, you can say no to things and you should speak up for yourself. And, you know, but I just, Mm -hmm. I spent so long not doing that and, uh, without, without realizing it. And, and so she's just, I think been there teaching me why it's important to do that and that it actually brings me home to myself, you know, like listening to her is that means like I'm learning to understand all of me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Caitlin, I'm, I'm curious. You talk a lot about um, your kids kind of interwoven throughout the book Mm -hmm. and how you're parenting and mothering them. And I wonder how that's connected with how you have kind of connected with your own inner child and cured for her um, and how that has influenced the way that you're raising um, your sons. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, um, it's been really beautiful to kind of be on that journey together of like understanding what it means to be Potawatomi with them and like trying to equip them with, with more than what I had, you know, like to help them understand and to know about our language and our stories and our culture. And, um, and through that, like they remind me of who I am all the time. And, um, of course, you know, when you have kids and they have this just beautiful curiosity for the world, you know, you can ignore it. You can kind of like put it at a distance or you can like join in with them in this just like amazing, you know, curiosity and childlikeness that they just embody. And, and at times I don't join in them, you know, and I, I work instead or I, you know, whatever, I'm an adult mm-hmm. instead. And then there are times <laughs> where I just let go and I am able to be in that with them. And 
it always teaches me so much when I am able to do that. Like they, um, it's nice. Like when, you know, I go travel and speak and out there I'm like Caitlin Curtis, whatever. And then I come home and I'm like, time to do the dishes and like time to do the laundry and (laughs) time to build Legos. And like, I actually love that. I love like, I love like the, the normalness that comes with just like coming home to, to my people and just getting to be with them. And like life goes back to normal. It's a jolt back to like, this is what we do. You know, like I, I really need that. And I really love that. Um, so yeah, I love my kids. They're amazing. Yeah. I love that. One of the things that I loved about the book and perhaps it's because, so this is our fourth year of doing upside down podcast. And at least once or twice a year, we have a conversation about the balance of being against things or systems or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and articulating what we're for. And so Kayla and I are both eights on the Enneagram. And so, oh, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> so we're really good at talking about what we're against. That's so good. Real, yeah. Really good at, at being yeah. against things. Yeah. Um, and so we try to balance that, you know, with like, okay, but what are we for? Like, we're super against this, but yeah. like, you know, and I feel like you do that so well. You articulate both. Like, what we should be against as followers of Jesus and what we should be for. And there's this hope in your words. And a lot of the chapters and maybe even paragraphs in your book um, end with these sort of maybe then statements. Yeah. Just kind of like leave us hanging. Like <laughs> I do maybe. That a lot. <laughs> but it was beautiful because it forces, <laughs> it forced you as the reader to actually think like, yeah. Well, maybe then maybe then we truly can begin to dismantle systems of oppression. Like maybe it's actually possible. And so I don't know, I just loved your ability to um not just be against because you certainly state beautifully what you are against and powerfully, but you're also showing us like but we can be for this. And so I just wonder how do you cultivate that hope that you have in the, the maybe then statements or the, this is what we could be for ideas. Yeah. Um, it's really funny. I, cause I, um, I had to write an op-ed recently for something. I don't even remember. And they were like, you know, they were like, we need your, like, we need your strong statement at the beginning. <laughs> and I, um, and I did one of those kind of like, maybe we believe this, like, maybe we should lean <laughs> into this. And they were like, no, <laughs> like, tell us what you, you tell us, like, tell us what to think, tell us what you think, tell us what to believe. And I realized how uncomfortable I was with it because it is that kind of like, we're all on a journey and like, we need to be like holding that space with each other. You know, like it was, mm-hmm. it was just funny. And it made me realize like, Oh, I, I actually do that a lot. Um, but I think it's a powerful tool to kind of leave things like that. Like let's, let's think maybe, maybe, maybe it could be this way. Maybe we have work to do and that work might look like this. Um, I, I'm a four on the Enneagram and Mm. I think so much of, of my work is just so heavy. And like, I have to, um, I, I am an optimist as well. And so when I fall into like the heaviness of everything, like if I am on Twitter too much and it's just like, you know, heaviness, heaviness, heaviness all the time. Like I, um, it like wears on me emotionally and mentally and then physically, if it gets to that, like it, it really affects me. And, um, and at some point I don't know how to get out of it. And if I can't write to process or like, you know, create something or do something to help it, 
feels really hopeless and scary in that space, I think. And so for me, like looking to the people who are bringing words of hope, like people online who are just cultivating that kind of kindness and like we're in this together sort of, um, and truth telling, like all of those people really give me a lot of hope to say, okay, like I can do this too. And I can keep, you know, writing the way that I write and like encouraging people to just ask the questions. Um, I think we underestimate how powerful it is just to ask the questions. Like, cause we always want an answer yeah. right away. Yeah. And what if we, like, why can't we just ask really hard questions and then just sit in that asking for a long time? You know, like we want to just like ask the question and then get to the other side of it. And I don't, I don't think we always need to do that. I think we need to like, sometimes we need to give it some time. And I think we're uncomfortable with that. And I want to allow people through my words and through the things I write, I want them to take their time. You know, I think that's important. Yeah. And the humility that comes with the answer being, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. I was going to say, we always start upside down podcast with like an intro quote like a pull quote from the episode. And I was like, mm. man, <laughs> you've already given so many of us. What <laughs> are we going to pick now? <laughs> I, I think that's so great as somebody who wants to always like have an answer and move on to the next and have an answer to move on to the next. Like I think as a church, we need to be okay with ambiguity um, yes. and wrestling with God. Like that's literally scriptural. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have to, we have to make space for that. And I think, you model that um in in your work in the book and just kind of as you share your life on the internet which is always a little weird and you know how do you do yeah. it and how do you do it, it well is. and how, how do you reflect it all um but from what we can see I just I appreciate that about you thank you so you alluded to this a little bit in your answer to that but you say in the book that we have to look for those who are in the midst of arguments over church institutions and diversity, those who are already marching in the streets on behalf of the poor, those who are the church when so many of us don't even know who Jesus is anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of alluded to those people um, who are, you know, continuing to exude kindness. And I wonder who are some of those people for you, whether, you yeah. know, we might know their names or we might not, but I'm just curious, like, in, in that sense of those people in the streets or the, that are giving you hope, um, who do you sort yeah. of look towards and listen to? Um, there are a lot. And it's funny because like, like I said earlier, like a lot, you know, it's like when I make, um, book lists on my website, I've made like indigenous book lists and mm -hmm. I intentionally like, they're not like all Christian natives. And it's funny cause people will be like, can you give me a, like list of like native theologians. And I always tell them like, can you just read, like just read the books on my list because <laughs> they don't have to be Christian natives for you to get something out of them. Mm -hmm. Like those books are full of deep wisdom that like, I think Jesus would find really good, <laughs> you know, like kind of like that idea, like right. the people that give me hope and continue to give me hope are, are people from every walk of life who are, like doing the work like disability activists who are teaching me about my own ableism and mm -hmm. you know um uh rabbi danya is someone i follow on um twitter who just is an incredible human and 
she's constantly, she's the same way where she challenges and then she like gives this beautiful like blessing to people and it just makes you want to cry, you know? And, um, and then all of my just kind of writing community friends that when, when stuff is really hard, like I know they're there, you know, and I know that they get what it, they get how hard it is to write a book and to put yourself out there, you know? And, um, and they, they see that, that side of me, you know, the, just the personal hard side of like, it's scary to write a book and, and it's scary to, to do that work, but I mean, it's beautiful, but it is scary, you know? And just to have those people who are always there to say like, we, you know, we get that and we're holding this with you. It's good to have those people. I guess just my final question for you, Caitlin would be, um, you know, our listeners are rooted in, in faith and justice but they're pretty across the board to somebody mm-hmm. who is new to your work or may even be challenged by your work. What, what, what would you say to them to kind of guide them um, as they maybe start wrestling with different things or maybe find themselves agreeing in some parts and, and, you know, put pushing back on other parts. Like what would you say um, just to kind of like our broad community and listenership, because we love them and they really represent, um, a wide swath of, um, you know, denominations and, and we have like Catholic and Protestant and people who are deconstructing and reconstructing and people who are not. So I just would love for you to kind of give a final word. Um, you know, I, so I spoke at, um, Baylor university a few months ago and had, um, some, negative reactions to what I spoke on. Um, but that's once, a really kind way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, like, it's like so much to go into. Yeah. So yeah. If people don't know, they can Google it. I promise there's stuff out there. Um, but, but one, so some, some students were attacked me and then there were some, but a lot of the other students like sent me these private messages and they were just really kind and beautiful. Um, and, one student sent me a message and was basically like, I didn't agree with most of what you said, but I really respect you and I'm grateful for the work you do. And that was my favorite message that I received Mm -hmm. because they were being honest that like, I don't get it. (laughs) Like, I don't get you. I don't understand, but like, I get that what you do is important and, and it matters. And, um, and that was just like a really beautiful thing to hear. And so you know, it's okay to read books and to be challenged by things and to say, I don't, this doesn't really sit with me, but like, I'm going to let it sit for a little while. And I'm going to sit in the, that liminal space. And I'm going to ask questions of myself. Like I, I want my writing and my stories and my words to allow people to ask questions of themselves because that's what I had to do. And that's what I have to do still. Like I, I have to be challenged by other people in the same way that I want to challenge others to ask these hard questions. And so I would just encourage people to don't um, just don't shut it off too quickly and, and allow yourself to just ask some of those deep questions and be gracious with yourself and with others as you ask them and have a few safe people that you can talk about those things with so that you can go on that journey, you know, and and that's okay. And it may take time and, that's okay too, but just don't, um, don't give up too quickly, I guess is what I would say. Mm, I love that. Thank you. That 
very generous way and encouraging way to end. <laughs> so, Caitlin, thank you so much. Everybody, Native is a book. Find it, support a local bookstore, get a copy, follow Caitlin. Um, Caitlin, you want to share where people can find you on the internet if they're not already following you? Yeah, um, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Caitlin Curtis, and I'm on Facebook too, but. I don't know if anyone's on Facebook very much right now. So um, mostly Twitter and Instagram is where you can find me. That's where I live most. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We learned so much from you. Um, You're a beautiful writer. Thank you for your prose and your poems. Um, Just really a gift. So for those of you who are listening, you can learn more about this podcast at UpsideDownPodcast.com. And we are Upside Down Podcast on Instagram. That's where we put our show notes because that's where you are. (laughs) And you're always welcome to join our Upside Down Together listener group on Facebook. Um, If you are on Facebook (laughs) to process through episodes (laughs) with the lens of God's Upside Down Kingdom. Thank you so much for listening. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see everybody next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Upside Down Podcast. New episodes are released on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. The Upside Down Podcast is created by Lindsay Wallace, Kayla Craig, Elisa Molina, and Gina Siliberto. Our show notes are written by Lana Smith. Johnny Craig and Tess Malone edit the episodes, and our theme music is Dreamers Act by DJ Sean P. And of course, our monthly patrons make everything possible.